Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thanks for joining me for another wonderful conversation that uh, I will be having today on the show. You know, this show really is designed to provide inspiration, transformation. I always like to say that we are here to really find the true power we have within ourselves to heal and transform our lives. And I trust every week when I have my guests in these wonderful conversations, it will support you and inspire you on this journey to self-awareness and to self-healing and to really finding that connection with the true divine being that you are. So as always, I invite you to either go to my Facebook page and like me there because I post my archive shows on that Facebook page, which happens to be called What Women Must Know. And it's What Women Must Know because that's the name of the other program I do on Progressive Radio Network, and um, you can find me there, or you can go to my website, which is drcherylselman.com, and opt in there. Not only will I send all the archive shows to you for both of my podcasts, but, um, you know, lots of other great information, education, and support for you. So I hope you'll go to my website, drcherylselman.com. Or like me over at What Women Must Know. So today we have a wonderful guest. Uh, we're going to be talking to Lynn Winwa. She is uh, uh, launching her new book, and uh, we're talking to her from Australia. And today we're talking about leaving faith and finding meaning. So a little bit about Lynn. As I said, she's uh, here in Australia. She's an author and has lived a life in contemplation service to humanity. Lynn also wrote a memoir, Leaving Faith, Finding Meaning, A Preacher's Daughter's Search for God. In this extraordinary account, Lynn describes the way she was able to move from an acceptance of traditional belief to a way of being that has um, been life-transforming for her. So uh, fundamental to this process was a growing awareness of the oneness of all reality. What a beautiful gift to give yourself in this lifetime. <laughs> so it's my great pleasure to welcome Lynn to the show today. So Lynn, hello and welcome to the Love Code. Oh, hello, Cheryl. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, it's great having you here. And, you know, I was looking uh, through your book and reading parts of it and, uh, well, you know, <laughs> what a journey you've had, Lynn, is <laughs> all I can say. What an amazing journey of healing and transformation to uh, be on this path that you are on now, and especially sharing the inspiration and the words of wisdom that you've gained in your lifetime. Well, I'm so glad you found it helpful. Absolutely. So, you know, when when I um, have my guests on my show, I'm always so curious and fascinated to know about the journey that took a person to their path and to their purpose and to their passion. So maybe you can share a little bit about your story and the experiences that you've had that have led you to doing the the work you're doing now and to the, um, the awareness that you've come to that you are sharing through your book and other work that you do. Well, I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian home. This was during the Second World War. My father was a preacher, and he believed that every word in the Bible had been dictated by God. And he was particularly attracted to the words of Solomon, that he must not spare the rod in disciplining his child. So one day he went out into the bush and broke off a branch and made a cane and he beat me with this cane until I finally had the courage to leave home at the age of 23. You know, uh, you know, reading your book, it, it was, it, it was actually, I have to say, quite, quite hard to read the, those experiences that you wrote about in your early life because it was uh, such abuse. Right, and and uh, and and I've I've been you know reading some other books, and of course trauma 
is such a huge topic these days. There's so much research into trauma. There's so much um, understanding of how we carry trauma, trauma in our lives. And, and then, of course, the, the journey to healing the trauma that people have. And, it's, you know, when, when I read the early years of your life, and obviously it went on for many years, um, that was just such a trauma for, for a, a, a little girl. You know, what was it like for you? I mean, you you left home at 23, is that what you said? That's right, yes. How did that that shape you, Lynn, that experience of all those years with an abusive father? Well, it was confusing for me because at that stage I was a deeply committed Christian And part of me believed that my father was doing the will of God in beating me with this cane. But the problem I had was that being a Christian means that your life is supposed to be transformed. Well, I didn't experience any transformation, but I noticed that there were other people in the church whose lives seemed to be being transformed. And I thought, well... Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe my parents were right that I was not fulfilling the purposes of God in my life. So for many years, I was very confused about about my spiritual journey, whether I was getting it right. Well, I would think for you know a, a child being in this situation where you've been indoctrinated, right? You've been indoctrinated to the spiritual path. But part of that indoctrination had to do with a lot of abuse, and which always makes the child feel like they're the problem, right? That they're at fault or they're deficient, that somehow it's them that brought this upon themselves and, and on some level they deserve it. That's, um, that's you know, that's a, a, a huge cross to bear, I, I guess is the best way to say it. Oh, yes, it was very difficult because I, for many years, I kept on feeling that maybe my father was right. And then I thought, no, would a God of love want a father to beat his child with a rod? The whole thing just made no sense. So can I ask you, have you you known about your father's past? I'm always curious as to what creates um, this um, this abusive behavior in a person, you know, under the guise of following the Bible. But, you know, you know, there's always something more behind that. Oh, yes. Well, my father was beaten by his own father. So because my father had this exaggerated view of what a wonderful man he was, he just assumed that he became this wonderful man because his own father had beaten him. So he probably thought, well, if I beat my daughter, she might become the wonderful person that I am. But it really isn't about that, is it, Lynn? It's really about the legacy of abuse and the wound and the anger and the hurt that's underneath it and how it gets translated and then how we justify our behaviors because we're not really able to understand the wounds that we carry and to heal them. So, I mean, this is ancestral wounding, right? This is what we talk about with trauma, whether it's uh, someone who's a perpetrator of child abuse. I, I have found in my practice as a psychotherapist that when you work with people, you, you see that they have been victims and they have just carried on this this woundedness, this behavior. And, um, you know, you wonder how many generations back it went in your family with your father. Oh, look, it probably went back many generations, I would think. Yeah. What about your mother? Because that's the other side of uh, this, this dysfunctional situation which so many people find themselves in. Well, when I had various attempts at therapy... The therapist told me that my mother was even more damaging to me than my father was because my mother never once tried to protect me from my father. She knew what was going on, 
but she was a devoted Christian wife and she felt that she had to obey her husband and if he wanted to beat me, he was doing the will of God in beating me. So uh, my mother's behavior left a lot to be desired. Yeah, so, you know, you, there was no one there to rescue you at that time. Well, there was nobody. Yeah. So what was it that happened to you, Lynn, where you began to, you know, awaken from this abuse and to find uh, yourself? Basically, I mean, what happened around the age of 23? Were you were you finally left home? Was your father abusive up until in your 20s, even? Yes, he uh, he beat me at the age of 23, and then I thought, I've had enough. I'm out of here. What happened? Well, I just left home, and I, I just never went back. Well, I mean, that must have been a trauma in itself, Lynn, because if you had lived home until 23, did you did you have education? Were you trained in, in some skills, career? No. Well, because my parents rejected me because I did not conform to the New Testament view of what a woman should be, they would not let me follow the career that I wanted, which was to be a schoolteacher. So they made me leave school at the age of 16, and instead of sending me to a conventional high school, they sent me to a commercial college where I learnt shorthand and typing. And they thought, right, you're going to get a job in an office where you'll have to be quiet, you'll have to be obedient, you won't be able to challenge anybody, and maybe that will enable you to become what the New Testament describes as a meek, gentle, and submissive woman. <laughs> Didn't work out that way, did it? <laughs> I was not gentle, I was not meek, and I was not submissive. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you must have... On this journey that you were on of healing, you know, ha had to address the anger, if not the rage, that you carries within you from that abuse. Yes, I think I did. But what changed my way of thinking was that I began to meet people who were not of the Christian faith, who were not of any faith at all. And they seem to have the qualities that are described in the New Testament as being indicative of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I thought, well, if all these other people who either don't have any religious beliefs or don't care about ultimate questions at all, if they can be uh, expressing these Christ-like qualities, what is it? that can actually transform a person's life. And that was when I started on a long journey trying to work out what is the process of transformation all about. You know, it's that, it's that moment in life where it's like there's, you know, it's almost like a moment of grace is one way to say it, where suddenly there is a, a light that goes on and you begin to see the world in new ways. You begin to realize that there are other possibilities or that there's even a way out of where you've been and how you've been. Yes, well, I think it was for me seeing all these Christ-like qualities in people who were not interested in Christ. Right. They just, they just, they just manifested. They just expressed. They just lived without the dogma. Yeah, I mean, they were just loving people, and I thought, well, there, where does this love come from? If it doesn't come from the love of God through Christ, where is it coming from? Yeah, that would have been an interesting question <laughs> to ask yourself at that time. So let's go back. So you were twenty-three. You had enough, and you took off. Um, you had some basic skills, right, his secretarial skills. And, and, and then what happened to you? Well, 
then I had the most amazing experience of my whole life. On a particular day, I had two tasks to complete. One was to clip round the edges of the lawn and the other was to clean the car. So I placed my car, my car keys and my cleaning equipment in the middle of the lawn. I clipped round the edges of the lawn and when I came back, I saw that the car cleaning equipment was still there, but the keys had disappeared. Now, I looked everywhere for the keys. For a period of four days, all I could do was to go round and round the yard, through all the rooms of the house and back into the yard again, and I could not find an explanation for why those keys had just miraculously disappeared. So because I was really worried about my sanity at that stage, I decided to do something that I would never have even thought of doing, and that was to see a psychic. Well, I went to see this man, and he said, look, I can't see what happened to your keys, but there's a being on the other side who wants to speak to you. He said, I'm being given her first name as Edith, and her second name starts with either a C or a K. So I said, well, would that be Edith Cavill? And he said, yes, that's the name I'm being given. Well, then he said, Edith wants to tell you something. And he said, you own a pendant. She said, when you get home, you are to hold that pendant perfectly still and ask me a question. If the answer is yes, it will swing one way. If the answer is no, it will swing another way. Well, I'm such a skeptic that as I was leaving the psychic's consulting room, I thought, this is never going to work. But anyway, when I got home, I got the pendant out and I closed all the doors and the windows so there'd be no breeze. And I held that pendant rigid. I asked it a question and I could not believe it when the thing actually moved. It swung horizontal for yes and vertical for no. So at that stage, I thought, well, maybe there is a purpose for my life because I couldn't work out any other reason why a pendant would swing of its own accord. So that began several months of contacting Edith every day. I asked her so many questions and she always gave me an answer. Then one day, something very strange happened. The pendant would not move. So then I eventually worked out that I would have to rephrase the questions so they could not be answered in a yes-no way, as had been the case up until then. So I swung the pendant round in a circle and then Edith was able to get back to me. Well, then after a few more weeks, Edith seemed to be saying to me that she was handing me over to another guide. So then I had to go through all the letters of the alphabet to find out who this new guide was. And I could hardly believe it when she spelt out the name Aristotle. And I thought, why on earth would a famous Greek philosopher want to talk to a non-entity like me? So I thought, well, maybe I was mistaken, or maybe Edith got it wrong. So I went to another psychic, and I told her nothing about myself. She said, in the middle of the reading, she said, I see a group of ancient Greek philosophers discussing your work. So that convinced me that I was in touch with Aristotle. So that began a very, very fascinating journey, communicating with spirits on the other side. <laughs> That's amazing. So I have to ask you, who was Edith that you knew her last name? Oh, Edith, Edith Cavill was a famous English nurse in the First World War. She was executed at the end of the war because, because, partly because of her strong Christian faith. And that faith caused her to treat soldiers from all sides. 
So she was not very popular in England because of the work she had done with foreign soldiers. All right. So you so that name just came to you when you were saw that first psychic. Um well, when I saw the first psychic, he was given the first name as Edith. Then he was given the initials of her second name as either C or K. Now, I had heard of Edith Cavill, so that's why I said to the psychic, oh, would that be Edith Cavill? And he said, yes. So I have to go back. What happened to the keys? Oh, I never found them. <laughs> they just dematerialized. Or, or yes, I believe the universe... <laughs> I really do believe, Cheryl, that the universe caused those keys to disappear because yeah. if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been in such a terrible state for four days and I would never have seen a, a psychic. I would never have been brought in touch with Edith. And most important of all, I would never have been in contact with Aristotle. Well, that's so true, right? You know, I mean, your your life, those missing keys were the beginning of a whole new journey for you in this lifetime. Oh, yes. If I hadn't lost the keys, I would still to this day have been a fundamentalist Christian. Yeah, I just am always amazed at how our soul unfolds the journey for us, right? It's, um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating process for all of us, all those those moments when something profound happens that changes the trajectory of our life and our destiny. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, so let's continue with your journey, which is so fascinating. So suddenly you are able to communicate with this collection of Greek philosophers. And, and yeah. what, what, what did that lead you to? What did you learn from them? Or how did that impact your work and your journey in this lifetime? Well, at that time, I was studying for a master's degree in psychology, and Aristotle seemed to be saying, look, when you complete your master's degree in psychology, you should apply to do a PhD in philosophy. Now, I had never been to a philosophy lecture in my life, and I thought, no, Aristotle, you've got this wrong. I, I might be able to get a psychology degree, but there's no way I could get a philosophy degree, let alone one at doctoral level. But he was insistent that I must apply for what they originally called a research degree, which is later converted into a doctoral degree. He said, you've got to apply for that. So I applied to all the universities in Sydney and they would not accept me because of my lack of background in philosophy. So I finally got on to the Professor of Philosophy in Tasmania and he was a world-renowned authority on, on the person I was interested in, which was the German philosopher Martin Heidegger. So I spoke to this professor in um, in Hobart, the capital of Tasmania, and I said, look, I really would like to write a thesis on Martin Heidegger. And he said, oh, you'll be all right, just send in your application. Now, the professor in Hobart completely forgot to ask me what background I had in philosophy, because if he had asked me that, and I had told him that I'd never been to a philosophy lecture in my life, he would have rejected me the way all the universities in Sydney rejected me. But because he didn't, he said, oh, look, just send in your application. So I sent it in and I was accepted. And that was the start of my doctoral journey. <laughs> so it was through your guide, which we... Oh. So through your guide that that um, you found this whole new course of life and direction in life. Oh, yes. I mean, um, being able to talk to my guides has been something that sustains me every day of my life up till the present day. So, so Lynn, so, so um, when you... Um, when you uh, 
you know, enrolled in this PhD program in philosophy. And yeah. What was what happened with that experience? Tell us about you know that part of your journey. Well, when I first I shifted down to Hobart to to do the degree, and it was quite an overwhelming experience because even philosophical terms I, I wasn't you know, particularly conversant with. So I had to ask Aristotle all the time, what does this philosopher mean when he says this? So I was I was on the phone, as it were, to Aristotle every hour, and he would clarify what the various writers wow. were saying. Wow. Wow, how amazing is that? Oh, it was very exciting. I mean, without Aristotle's help, there is no way I could have completed that degree. Yeah. Well, that's just phenomenal. So, so actually went through and received your doctorate in philosophy. That's right. You you kind of had some special tutoring there, didn't you, <laughs> to make it through? Oh well, I mean, I, I consider myself to be a person of average intelligence, and if it weren't for contact with beings on the spirit in the spirit world. There's no way I could have completed that degree. <laughs> That's amazing. So where did that degree lead to? Well, it gave me the confidence to think that I could write a book. And I finished up writing two books. Um, one is called God Interrogated. And in that book, I look at the way philosophers through the years have examined the question of God. And then I've got another section which is on quantum physics. I became interested in quantum physics just in my spare time. And I came to the conclusion that everything in the universe is one because this is what the quantum theorists tell us. So I began to think, look, I am not separate from this so-called God. I'm not separate from other people. Everything in the universe is one. So that's the second part of my book called God Interrogated. It's called God and Science, where I look at quantum theory. Then the last section of the book is called God and Belief. Now, this is where I examine the very interesting question of how people can have their lives transformed by believing something that's got nothing to do with Christianity or even by having no particular beliefs at all. So that led me to my basic theory that there is a difference between the ideas that we accept at a conscious level, what we might normally call factual questions, and what happens at the deepest level of our being. And I argue in the book that it's at that deepest level where everything is one, that is where transformation occurs. So that can explain why people with all these different beliefs or, or having no beliefs at all, why they can have their lives transformed. Because somehow or other, they are tapping into that very deep level of their being where everything is one. And isn't that the most profound awareness one can have on this spiritual journey? You know, beyond beyond uh, the the tenets and dogmas of any teachings, you have to go to the core and experience that truth. Oh yes. Uh, you know, I'm just curious. Let's go back to the the personal journey, Lynn. So, you you know you ventured onto this path that led you to move from your basic trainings of secretarial skills and you went on, got a university degree, got a master's, went on, got a PhD in philosophy, which is not an easy PhD to get, by the way. But what, <laughs> what, is, what, what was the resolution, the healing with your, with your mother and father? Well, I, I assume there was. I assume this awareness led to that. Well, I didn't have much contact with them. I, I just used to write occasionally because I knew that they were hostile to me and that they, that they felt I was a failure as a Christian. 
But gradually, I noticed a change in myself. Whereas I had been very harsh on myself up until that point, I began to be very gentle with myself. And I thought, yeah, I'm not such a bad person after all. And if you don't have to be a Christian in order to be a loving and kind person, I don't have to be a Christian any longer. So that was when I ceased to believe in Christian doctrines, even although I believe that Christianity is life-transforming for millions of people. But it wasn't the path for me. The path for me was to realize my oneness with the universe, with everything. And did you ever make peace with your parents? Did you ever see them again? Did you? You know, how, how did that uh, yes. unfold? Well, what happened was that I eventually married at the age of 36, I think it was. And um, I told my parents that I had met this very loving man. So I, I took Andrew up to Brisbane and I introduced him to my parents and they were all very polite. But it was interesting that the first thing my father asked Andrew, and what are your beliefs? Because my father wanted to make sure that Andrew was what fundamentalists call on the ball. Well, whatever Andrew said, it, it must have convinced him because he, they didn't object to uh, my marrying Andrew. I mean, they actually came to the wedding, which was all very nice. So, you know, it, it was all right, but I could never be close to them again because... In their eyes, I was a failure. Right. But you had, at that point, grown to such an awareness that that you didn't accept that interpretation of yourself any longer. That's right, yes. I thought, well, I, I'm not really a bad person after all. <laughs> you know, it that's, you know, such a key piece of the journey we're on because I think the majority, if not all, of humans living in this three-dimensional reality have taken on beliefs to a greater or lesser extent that somehow we are incomplete, we're flawed, some degrees we're not good enough. You know, I, I, I can recognize that theme running through my life for many, you know, many decades. <laughs> uh, you, you know, we all bring that in. For some reason, that's part of the, the journey in this, in this lifetime, in this three-dimensional reality that we are. We come in with a misperception of who we are, at least in our culture, right, in our Western culture. Or maybe other cultures maintain and support that connection to the uh, divine that we are, but certainly not in our culture. We have so much wounding. And then it's the journey of finding our way back. It's the process of how that um, that unfolds. And it's so unique for each of us. That's why I love hearing everyone's stories because it's a unique journey of how we heal the past and heal the misperceptions and heal the not good enough beliefs and that I'm bad person beliefs and return to that true understanding and connection of the the love that we are. Yeah. So, so tell us about your latest book, and, and this is what brings us here on the show, which is Leaving Faith, Finding Meaning, A Preacher's Daughter's Search for God. What is what, what made you write this book? Well, I felt it was very important to share my experiences and my beliefs with other people who have been raised in the kind of family that I was raised in, or, or at least people who were raised in a Christian fundamentalist family. And I thought, well, maybe they will be brought to the point that I was brought to, which was to realize that the Christian faith was simply not working in their lives. So what I'm trying to do in the book is to say, look, find your own true path. Your own true path may be a religious belief 
or it may be something quite different. But it's really important for you, the reader, to find out what your true path is. And I hope that the book will encourage people to try to find that path for them. Well, I, I think whether it is coming from a fundamentalist Christian experience like you had, or coming from a history of some degree of abuse, you know, when I hear your story, uh, I know it's so wrapped up with this fundamentalist Christian experience, but you know, I always hear it as, uh, uh, you know, living in a family of, so, of such dysfunction. You know, your your mother, obviously, her past and probably her mother on that side were submissive and gave up their power. And, and then on your father's side, this legacy of abuse, physical abuse, probably emotional abuse, mental abuse. And that's what so many of us are dealing with. That's you know, that's why people seek therapy. That's why people seek spiritual counseling. It's because we come from a history of abuse. Whatever that fundamentalist or just trauma is, right? So um, it, it, it really is the journey that people need to go through of freeing themselves from the programming. Because the first seven years, and Bruce Lipton is always talking about this, the first seven years is when we get programmed by deep in our unconscious of who we are and how we've been taught to perceive the world. So it is something that we need to unravel as we go through life and do the deep healing work. Yes, well, I think I, I had it both ways. Not only was I physically and psychologically abused, but I also had this version of Christianity which made me feel like a worthless sinner. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just curious, I, you know, coming from that fundamentalist Christian background, where did that message, how did that message get so distorted, Lynn? Well, I think it, it gets distorted because of people's basic insecurities. And when people are insecure, they reach out to someone or some set of beliefs that they think will rid them of this awful sense that they're worthless. And this is why I think that a lot of people latch on to something like fundamentalist Christianity because it holds out a hope of a loving God who will forgive their sins no matter how terrible they've been. And, you know, they just grab onto that. They think, yes, I, I'm a bad person and this wonderfully loving God sent his son to die on the cross to take the punishment for my sin and all I've got to do is to accept that wonderful gift and I'll be okay. Well, a lot of them do that. They accept God's gift of salvation through Christ. And they... Some of them, their lives are transformed through this so-called transaction. But many of them just try to convince themselves that their lives are transformed because there are so many people in the church who, who to me seem to be no more loving or, for that matter, Christ-like than people outside the church. <laughs> well, exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's humans on their journey, right? <laughs> However, wherever we find ourselves, it, it isn't a doctrine that can make us more loving. We can spout the word, no. but we don't embody the essence until we do our healing journey. Oh, yes. And that healing, I think, involves not only realizing that we're not bad people, but realizing that we are connected to everything in the world, everything in the universe, and the universe is love itself. Yeah, what a what a you know profound journey you have been on. And yeah, the other fascinating thing was the thesis that you chose to write about for your PhD, having never really studied philosophy, and somehow you probably were told by Aristotle that this is the, the person who's like one of the founders of quantum 
physics is to be the subject of your thesis? Uh, well, it, the thesis was actually a critique of this German philosopher, Martin Heidegger. But what I argued in the thesis was that Heidegger was moving towards a mystical pathway. Heidegger was very influenced by the medieval mystic Meister Eckhart. And I argued in the thesis that if Heidegger had continued along that path where he could have embraced the whole of Eckhart's teaching, Heidegger himself could have become a mystic. Right, but he never did? No, he never did. He, he actually became a Nazi instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Too bad he didn't continue on the way. <laughs> yes. Uh, he, he, well, he was a tragic figure, Martin Heidegger, a really tragic figure. Well, oh, that's so interesting. Uh, you know, I, I want to ask you, so... Right now, at this point in your life, are, are you still being guided by your by Aristotle and your Greek philosophers? Uh, well, it's a mixture of people. Sometimes I talk to Aristotle. Um, sometimes I talk to beings on the other side who have been enlisted to be my personal guides. Um, I don't know their names, but one of them I call Mary. Now, I talk to Mary every day about everything. Well, so maybe you can give us some, um, you know, share some wisdom that you've been receiving to help us understand the process we are in in this world at this time. I'm sure you've asked uh, <laughs> that question. Uh, well, um, I believe, I actually believe in reincarnation. And I believe that we come into this world to fulfill a particular destiny. And what that destiny is, is going to be a combination of very difficult circumstances, as well as a lot of pleasant circumstances. So whenever a very difficult problem comes before me, and I think, how on earth am I going to get around this? I say to Mary, now, can you think of a way around this problem? And I'll sort of toss a few ideas to her and she'll come up with the answer. It's usually yes or no because I'm, I'm still operating on this basic yes-no um, system that I used when I was first um, talking to Edith Cavill. Anyway, um, if I have a problem and I say to Mary, do you think this is the best way to fix the problem? And she will say yes or no. And I'll try out various alternatives until I come to something that she says, yes, that's the way to go. So have you asked her about, you know, all the changes that are happening in the world in appreciation of this journey and process we are in? Now, when I ask her about things like Ukraine, she, she feels she is not in a position to make some sort of prediction about what is going to happen in Ukraine. It's more a question of, of guiding me in my daily life as to what I should do rather than trying to diagnose the problems of the world. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> That's a big ask, <laughs> I'm sure. So, Lynn, um, where are you now on this journey, and what is your what is your goal right now for you and your life, and with this latest book that you have written? Well, I'm hoping that a lot of people will read it and get value from it. And I'm hoping that they'll contact me too because um, in the book my web address is there and if they go onto my web address they will see my email address. So if they want to send me an email, I would love to talk to them. <laughs> so let's give people your uh, your website, which is your name, Lynn Renoir. Are you related to the artist, by the way? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. I, I thought I had to ask. You know, one never knows. 
Okay, so it's Lynn, L, and that's L-Y-N-N-E, two N's and an E, and Renoir, like the uh, famous artist, dot com. So yes. LynnRenoir.com. And, um, that's right. you know, the, and her memoir, again, is Leaving Faith, Finding Meaning, A Preacher's Daughter's Search for God. So in the in the um, remaining time we have, Lynn, what is it you would like to share that we haven't had a chance to discuss or to bring out in our conversation that you would like to, to tell us about? Well, I'm I'm not sure whether every person is able to contact their spirit guides the way I was. So. It's difficult for me to give advice to people as to what they should actually do. But I suggest in the book that there are a lot of things that can happen to us, such as a book that comes into our lives that that may have some useful advice or by going on the web and looking up various words of wisdom that, that people have spoken. There are so many different websites that talk about the mystical experience or connecting with your higher self. There are all different kinds of ways of explaining this experience. So I would just encourage people to try everything, to try all sorts of ways of reaching that ultimate reality where they will be able to find peace. Well, uh, you know, great, great advice and great wisdom because we live in an age more than ever before where we have access to so many resources and so much wisdom and so many wise people in the world who are becoming more and more available to help people from all tradition, right? So, so it's just, there's just so much that we can be doing on this journey of healing and transformation, even just learning some basic breathing skills. You know, just breathing can help to transform us, to give us a, a profound insights or other forms of meditation. One of my recent guests was um, a Buddhist teacher living in Chiang Mai in Thailand, and uh, David Roiland, and he does all these wonderful free programs and he gives free consultations and guidance and skills and learning meditation and some very simple things. You know, I, I just see we live in a, a time where we really have access to the wisdom of, from all traditions at our fingertips. Oh, yes. I mean, I believe that the path to healing and transformation can be obtained through any faith. I'm particularly interested in some of the Eastern religions because they don't seem to have the same problems that we have when you know, we're, we're taught that we're sinners and we're worthless and all that sort of stuff. In the East, they seem to think that they're okay as they are. Right. They're not looking for deities. And certainly in Buddhism, it's just finding your Buddha nature is the whole message of Buddhism, right? Find that place where you have been, you know, what you have been discovering and empowered with, which is that connection to that unconditional love that unites us all. That is the source of all, is the source of all. Yes, I think the Buddhists probably come closer to the truth than anybody else. Yeah, I would agree. And, um, you know, I just I just find the journey that we're all on is a, it's a fascinating process. And, they, you know, the more I travel through life and the more I have opportunity to have conversations like we're having today, it just is such an awesome experience to uh, see the, the process that, we go through in our own unique way of journeying through this life and gaining more awareness, gaining the healing, gaining that understanding of the connection to all of life. I, uh, one more thing before we go. Um, so what what are you doing now in your life? Are you, are you teaching? Are you writing? Are you consulting? What is it that you are addressing and focusing on now, Lynn? Well, I'm, I'm doing a lot of thinking and um, 
preparing myself for interviews like this. And this is the first interview I've ever done. So uh, it's, uh, it's quite a different experience being interviewed by people. So I'm working out the kinds of responses that I could give to people who are interviewing me. <laughs> well, I don't know if you work them out, Lynn, as much as they come through you. <laughs> you know, it's like when, and I'm I'm honored to be this maiden voyage for you, and hopefully it's a good experience. So you will build on that for all the future interviews that you have no doubt planned, and uh, and you know your your behind the scenes guides <laughs> guiding you on this next stage of your journey in life. Yes, well, it's been wonderful to talk to you, Cheryl, and thank you so much for the invitation. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure and delight to talk to you, Lynn. You know, I, I find who you are and what you've been through in your life and the amazing journey you've been on. It's such it's such a fantastic story, your life, and this, which is ongoing because you're now in the next chapter of this journey. But it truly is inspirational because it's allowing all of us to understand no matter what our circumstances have been in the past, no matter how difficult the past was, that we have within us a guiding light that can help us to emerge from those challenges, from that trauma, and really find the truth of who we are find the greater purpose in our life, and to really live a life with love and peace and compassion. So thanks for being that inspiration to all of us who are listening to this conversation today. Thank you so much, Cheryl. So uh, thank you all for listening to uh, this wonderful conversation that I've had with Lynn Renoir. Again, her website is Lynn, and Lynn is L-Y-N-N-E, Renoir, R-E-N-O-I-R, like the artist, Lynn Renoir. And her latest book, her memoir, is Leaving Faith, Finding Meaning, A Preacher's Daughter's Search for God. And as always, it's such a pleasure to have you with me. I trust you'll be listening every week to The Love Code and also to my program every Thursday on What Women Must Know, PR, that's on this network, PRN, what women, what women Must Know. And until next time, may your week always be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.